Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. A note of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. So we've covered a lot of true crime stories in depth over the years, which you can check out on truecrimedaily.com for videos and updates. But some of these cases, unfortunately, never reach any resolution or justice. And justice is often very slow. So we want to bring you some updates to some of the big cases as they develop. We have a development in the West Texas case of uh, Zuzu Verk, who went uh, missing in October of 2016. She was a college student there. Uh, her boyfriend, Robert Fabian, had been arrested in that case. He was a suspect. Um, his friend, Chris Estrada, was uh, eventually arrested as well as uh, an alleged accomplice. A Caldwell County jury this week excuse me, in May, convicted Robert, Fadi- Fr- Robert Fabian of murdering Zuzu Verk, 21 years old, and tampering with physical evidence on, uh, on May 8th, 2019. The same jury sentenced Fabian to life in prison the next day. Fabian has also been sentenced to 20 years on the tampering charge. He will be eligible for parole after 30 years. His friend, Chris Estrada, told the court that uh, Fabian had confessed, confessed to choking Zuzu after their dinner date further stated that Fabian had asked him to help dispose of her body. Strada ultimately told the court that he had decided he declined to help Fabian move Zuzu's body, but uh, he would not turn him in. Yeah. And if you remember this case, this is the uh, the one where the uh, Fabian had um, invited um, his friend to come over and paint. This was the, the sort of alibi or the story mm-hmm. to paint a table. And at about uh, four o'clock in the morning, at four o'clock in the morning, which was not something that you do. Police say that Robert called you twice at 3.15 a.m. Mm-hmm. on October 12th. What did Robert want to talk about at 3.15 a.m.? And remember, this is the early morning where it is believed Zuzu goes missing. He never really said. Later on, at some point, he just asked me if I wanted to help him paint a table. And is that sure? It was an incredibly strange case. You, you can watch videos of it up on, on True Crime Daily. 
A former inmate named Roy Roman told the court that while in jail, Fabian confessed to choking Zuzu after she threatened to tell people about a bisexual relationship between him and Estrada. Roman said Fabian claimed the altercation occurred out of anger and that he later buried her body with Estrada's help. And, uh, you know, it was um, it was one of those cases that we've covered that uh, beautiful girl. um, He was a good looking guy. They seem to, uh, you know, have it together, and then it all fell apart. Right. And True Crime Daily, we have uh, actually we have a, a video interview with Chris Estrada, uh, Robert Fabian's friend, uh, who was invited to uh, take care of this, uh, to to paint the table. Which is, you know, I don't know what the college kids are doing these days, but four o'clock in the morning, it can get a little wild. Um, he gave us an interview, and he kind of he played it pretty uh, close to the vest he wasn't uh, given a lot of a lot of way we had a, a lie detection a human lie detector type of person an interrogation yeah. uh, analyst who studied the video and he said that uh, the, you know he was covering some stuff up we brought in expert interrogation specialist stan the lie guy walters who helps train police officers around the country in the art of detecting deception Stan and I spent over an hour with Chris Estrada asking him some very tough questions, and you went ahead and scrutinized that interview. Mm-hmm. Overall thoughts on Chris Estrada? In my opinion, Chris is withholding a lot of information that would be critical to this investigation. And we saw this with the interviews of Chris Watts in mm-hmm. the Denver case, where you're watching somebody being interviewed about a um, Uh, what is definitely a crime and seeing what their body language is like, seeing Mm -hmm. how they're answering the questions. And when you watch this interview with Estrada, um, it's really interesting. We know now that he is, he is guilty, but watch the way, watch his mannerisms, watch the way he um, answers the questions. I just remember one thing that really jumped out at me when they were, when we asked him, you know, what were you guys talking about? I was like, nothing really just, Chit-chat. I remember him saying chit-chat like that. The police also say that you picked up Robert in your Mustang later that day. Correct. Why? We cruised around, and we went back to his place. We just had, you know, a few drinks, small chit-chat, just normal. Nothing seemed off about him? He was laughing, smiling. Seemed fine to me. Alarm bells will, will ring Suspicious. There. We and, and you should go and watch this video because uh, uh, the expert points out some stuff as well. But, uh, yeah, he's very tight-lipped during this interview. He's kind of smirking. Uh, as the interrogation expert notes, he thinks he's sort of getting one. He's getting away with it. He knows he's sort of, uh, you know, yeah. looking you in the, in the face and is getting some satisfaction out of, I know I'm lying to you and you can't no, do anything about it. There's several places noticed in his interview that he demonstrate his contempt for the interview, contempt for the situation, that you're beneath me. It's one of those cases where you have somebody that is willing to, and it's even different than the Chris Watts case, because yeah. in the Chris Watts case, yeah. he had to go on TV right. because he was because his wife was missing, remember? And he was just like, where's my wife? I want to find answers. So he had to do that. Estrada did not have to agree to an interview. It's a little bit of ego. It, this was very ego. This is very much, I think I'm smarter than everybody. I'm the mm-hmm. smartest guy in the room, and I'm going to get one over on these people. They're just going to gonna ask these questions, and I'm going to be able to, to knock it out of the park. And um, it shows a a level of um, of cockiness mm-hmm. bordering on sociopathic tendencies. I do a lot of these interviews, and I'm wondering whether I should believe you 
How do I know right now you're not BSing me? You wouldn't know. This Chris Estrada, this guy who we have the interviews with, um, he's sent, he's to be sentenced after Fabian, and so that just happened. Uh, he's not yet been sentenced, but basically the big takeaway from this development is A, Fabian, Robert Fabian was convicted, which most people had, had thought uh, he had done it. Um, that wasn't highly in doubt, but the, the bombshell is that the reason why was that he he basically admitted he flew into a rage when his girlfriend threatened to out uh, yeah. him having sex with Chris Estrada, this guy in this interview, uh, to everybody, and that set him off, and, and so he did these things. So that was a big revelation. Yeah. But some justice for the family because uh, they know what happened. Uh, they, they, they know where she is. Yeah. Um, the, you know, this guy's not ever going to get out. We have an update on an incredibly uh, odd case, Praven Varagase. So on a cold weekend night in February 2014, he made his usual call home uh, from Southern Illinois University where he was a sophomore, Mm -hmm. and he would always call his parents. And that same night, he goes to an off-campus party. And then what happens next, uh, the story is varied. Around 11 p.m., he got into a pickup truck uh, with a relative stranger, uh, 22-year-old Gage Bethune, who was leaving another party on the same street. Exactly where they were going and why remained a mystery. Back in the truck, Bethune says things start getting ugly. You know, I asked him multiple times, where are you going, where's your destination? He can't really give me the exact spot. And I told him, look, I gotta go. And he wasn't cooperating. And that's when he started to rage a little bit. And it's when he punched me in line, I pulled over on the side of the road. Shortly after midnight, a state trooper pulled up with his dashboard camera rolling behind Bethune's truck, which was already parked along Illinois Route 13 in Carbondale, and its flashes were blinking. Bethune was alone. Praven was nowhere to be seen. And according to the trooper's report, Bethune says that he had picked up an African-American male hitchhiking. He says the man tried to rob him and then took off down the sloping hillside from the road and into the woods. And uh, the trooper sort of uh, shined a flashlight into the trees, saw nothing. That's it. That's the end of it. Bethune heads home. The trooper's report makes no mention of Praven, and uh, the P- Carbondale police are not not alerted to it. So Praven's family was like, you know, why didn't you say anything? Mm-hmm. You know, w- what is going on here? That uh, the same morning... Um, Praven's mother, who's a hospital nurse, said she woke up with a profound feeling of dread that would not go away. And later that day, she got a call from police that he was missing. Um, they drive 300 miles south to Carbondale to help help find their son. And, um, you know, everybody is kind of looking for this kid. The police then get a phone call from a cousin of Gage Bethine, the driver of that pickup truck that was pulled over. And the cousin says that Bethune recognized Praven's face on TV and admitted that he was actually the one in the truck with him that night. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to figure out exactly what happened. Right. And so police brought him in. They talked to him. Uh, They wanted to get a bunch of, uh, uh, wanted to get some information from him. We do have some of that footage uh, of the interrogation video of him talking to police, uh, being interrogated by detectives. He doesn't remember uh, a whole lot of details about it. Um, He did say that uh, he had been punched uh, unprovoked in the face by this man. He he said, 
I don't, I didn't know the kid was missing. I told the story. I wanted to tell them like I wasn't scared. Like I was Mr. Tough guy. I don't want my thing. I didn't want my friends to think I'm weak. Told them the kid was kind of scared of me. He jumped out real quick and he took off running. I chased him. I hit him and he turned around and I just hit him, knocked him out. That's what I told him. In a second interrogation, police ask Bethune about a story he told friends shortly after the incident with Praveen. I didn't know the kid was missing. I told the story. I wanted to sound like I wasn't scared. Like I was Mr. Tough Guy, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't want my friends to think I'm weak. I told him, you know, the kid got, he was kind of scared of me. He jumped out real quick, he took off running. Stories don't exactly match up, but uh, they they keep searching. They found uh, Praven Verges in about 400 yards from where the truck was parked. In this original story, he's dead. Um, they have they have a uh, 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 the, the prosecution goes back and forth, and 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 they manage to put together enough elements to to convict this man right uh, gage okay. bethune you know the his mother actually praven's mother was um uh was a nurse and she wanted to see the body and and she walked in she saw that a bruise on his forehead mm -hmm. and uh said sort of who beat my baby who, who beat my son she demands to see his body and what she sees shocks her beyond belief as we walked in i saw the bruise on his forehead and i Somehow the word came out of my mouth. I said, who beat my baby? Who beat my son? The injuries killed him. Now the anxiously awaited results of Praveen's autopsy are released. And they are equally shocking to the family. And the coroner called me and said hypothermia was the reason. No injury. But Lovely doesn't buy it. And remember, she's a registered nurse. I saw every single injury on my son. So when the authorities started telling me and the autopsy said there is no injury, I said no one can deny my eyes. I saw my son. There were two different dents on his head. There was three uh, blows to the head. Um, the bruise was so deep that it was into the muscle, to the bone. So this wasn't like uh, something that he may have, you know, was running down the hill and then, uh, you know, tripped or something like that. Yeah. They're trying to say that these were uh, repetitive injuries. They even did a second autopsy on this uh, because of, uh, thank goodness, the, the mother was a nurse. Right. So in June of 2017, Bethune was convicted of Praven's murder. And um, but on the day that he was supposed to be sentenced, which was back in uh, September 17th of last year, his conviction was uh, thrown out. Overwording in the indictment, the judge said, could be confusing to jurors. State prosecutors who sought to convict Bethune in that 2014 death have now dismissed the charges against him, but Bethune's name is not completely cleared. Unlike an acquittal, which often prevents a defendant from facing the same charges multiple times, thanks to the constitutional protection known as double jeopardy, the ruling um, allows prosecutors to refile charges in the future. Mm -hmm. So they can go back if they've got enough evidence, but they're, they really drop the current case because there is not enough evidence. And this is one of those cases that um, there's nothing new physically that they're going to be able to find on him. Uh, they're letting him go. It's, it's what would be called a wire case now. Well, actually, uh, so... The insufficient evidence wasn't necessarily the the the, the main factor here, uh, as the special prosecutor Dave Neal says. It's the 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 wording of the indictment right. in particular oh, yeah, right. uh, yeah. that that laid out the office's charges against Bethune. So 
you know, they're getting they they got the conviction, they got the whole thing tied up, and now they're having a problem with the verbiage in the original thing, saying that the the jury possibly may have misunderstood or could be prone to misunderstanding this. So. This is unusual. I haven't, uh, you know, we cover a lot of different cases in, in the legal aftermath and that kind of thing. I've never heard of something like this as far as right, after but, the fact. Yeah, but now, so they vacated the guilty verdict and ordered a new trial. But Neil and the prosecutors, um, they've canceled that indictment. And mm-hmm. in order to bring new charges against Bethune, prosecutors would have to now convince either a grand jury or a judge to indict him again. Which is tough. Which is going to be tough. Um it depends on the on the, the prosecutor themselves, though, because you you have this case. It's fairly clear, cut and dried. You need the the, the will to to, yeah. to actually to go do this. So in January of this year, the courtroom, uh, Bethune walked out of the courtroom surrounded by his family and supporters. His lawyers got back ninety percent of his hundred thousand dollar bond payment, and we'll continue to see if anything happens with this case, but. Yeah. <sighs> You know, it was it was always a strange case. It was always something that you didn't quite know. There was kind of no way of knowing what happened. The 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 um, the injuries on him. First, they said they were caused by you know something something natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second autopsy said no. This was that he was beaten up. The last person that was with him was this guy. Um, is there enough evidence then to go back and indict and then convict? going to be tough it's true we'll keep a we'll keep an eye on it check truecrimedaily.com for that uh you can search praven is his first name p-r-a-v-i-n so let's catch up on the Teresa sievers case out of uh out of florida um this is the holistic doctor who was a uh, legend to death 911 what is your emergency uh i'm at a friend's house uh he's out of town and i came here to check on the flight and she's dead on the floor she had a pretty thriving business as uh, in hormone therapy. She had a YouTube channel, spoke about alternative medicine. Um, She was very successful in her holistic uh, field. Lived in Bonita Springs, Florida. She was at a family gathering in Connecticut with her husband, Mark Seavers, and their two daughters in June 2015. Uh, She had patients uh, the next morning. Images of her at the airport was the last known of her alive. Uh, when she didn't show up for work, her, uh, her her husband, Mark, who is also her business manager, exchanged text messages with uh, Teresa's nurse, Teresa Seaver's nurse. I'm checking with the doctor as well. She's not answering her phone. It just goes back and forth uh, about uh, where this woman is. The nurse asked, do you want me to go check out your house? Mm-hmm. And he said no. Uh, he... 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 Uh, he, told, he asked another colleague of uh, Dr. Severs to go by the house. This person walked in on a murder, uh, on a murder scene. It was uh, very bloody. He called 911. Uh, the callers recorded saying, uh, we have this recording as well on truecrimedaily.com. I'm at a friend's house. He's out of town. I came here to check on his wife, and she's dead on the floor. I'm afraid somebody's in the house. Somebody killed her. It's a murder. She's bashed in the back of the head. My God, she's my friend. I'm afraid somebody's in the house. I mean, okay. somebody killed her. Right. I mean, it's a murder. Right? It's, uh, she bashed in the back of the head. My God, you know, she's my friend. Actually, the nurse said she called Mark and she said, uh, no, you're not. It told me not to go to your house, but I don't know what's going on. Do not tell anyone the doctor's dead. Uh, the whole thing turned out to be what the police think is a, a setup. Um, in this case, 
Mark Seavers, the husband, was uh, was brought to was 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 indicted. Uh, however, in April of this year, a judge decided not to approve a motion for the continuance in the, in his trial. They set a pre-trial conference uh, for May 9th. May 9th came around. The uh, trial for Mark Seavers was going to be delayed after the attorneys said that they weren't ready. Uh, attorneys from both sides previously had requested a delay of the trial, but they were denied the, by the judge. No new trial has yet been set, but uh, Mark Seavers has been jailed since February 26, 2016, on two homicide charges and conspiracy to commit su- excuse me homicide in her death. No bond was set by the judge uh, intentionally. Uh, two other men are also implicated in the crime. Curtis Wayne Wright has pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. He's expected to help prosecutors in the case. It doesn't seem like a lot of doubt here. Uh, it's procedural. Sentencing in Wright's case is scheduled for July. Uh, his friend Jimmy Ray Rogers, also charged with first-degree murder and Seaver's death, he's, uh, he remains incarcerated. Uh, yeah. So, so the whole question is, is that whether Mark knew anything about it? So, uh, you know, people were looking at Mark, apparently at, at Mark's, uh, at Teresa's funeral, Mark was, um, uh, was kind of, was cold uh, to some people there. His demeanor and his body language and his character didn't fall into place with a man who was mourning. Um, Sandra Hoskins said, um, you know, they also, they, they found out that they were into this, um, that Teresa struggled with addiction and uh, with her um, sexual orientation, apparently. They were into the swinger lifestyle. And Mark reportedly claimed that Teresa fantasized about his best friend, who was Curtis Wainwright. Mm-hmm. And he even, um, uh, he even, he and, he and Mark even looked alike. Now, when uh, the cops were originally looking at uh, Curtis, you know, they, they, um, uh, they found a clue that was inside the car. A GPS device had uh, Teresa's home address in Bonita Springs, and the GPS was registered to an email address with an even different man's name, Jimmy Rogers. So that was in Curtis's uh, mm-hmm. car. And apparently Curtis, um, you know, Mark was saying that Curtis was Teresa's, quote, sexual fantasy. And, um, you know, the, the, there was phone calls to a burner phone, which led them to this double wide trailer in the Missouri Ozarks that Curtis Wainwright uh, was living in. It just all seemed very, um, very fishy. When they when they get this guy's name, this Jimmy Rogers, they head straight to Jimmy's girlfriend, Taylor, who seemed to know a lot. And she's like, I'm like, well, I know you went down there to kill someone. And then he said, yeah, um, Uh, Taylor told investigators in a recorded interrogation. I said, did you shoot her? And he said, no. I said, then how? How did you kill her? Then he made a stupid little chuckle that he does. And he said, with a hammer. And it turns out Jimmy Rogers actually had a nickname and it was The Hammer. Indeed. So uh, Mark Seavers, the the husband here, also had a $4.4 million life insurance policy on Teresa. Yes. Uh, He has uh, pleaded not guilty to first degree murder. Uh, whether that's surprising or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it seems that uh, money was a motivation in the situation when you have two Well, th- th- that's, that's what the prosecutors at least were saying, that um, that they had troubles uh, in the bedroom, and then they also had money troubles. The IRS apparently had a lien on their house for $33,000. And then also, on top of all of that, the biggie is the $4.4 million life insurance payout. Uh, a gruesome detail to uh, Curtis Wright. Uh, in his confession, also uh, basically started hitting uh, Teresa with the hammer. 
Just a couple of times, he told uh, detectives, he said, uh, I have shoulder problems, so I guess I wasn't hitting her hard enough. That's when the hammer, Jimmy uh, Rogers, finished the job, allegedly. Wow. So we'll keep you updated on that one, definitely. Yes, that's uh, S-I-E-V-R-S, Seavers, Teresa Seavers, on truecrimedaily.com. Check that one out. This next case is out of uh, Long Beach, Mississippi. It's a Long Beach, uh, Mississippi police officer named Cassie Barker. Uh, she was arrested in 2016. She had a three-year-old girl who was uh, basically roasted to death in a steaming hot police patrol car in, uh, in Long Beach, Mississippi. The girl's father, who was separated from uh, Cassie Barker, was horrified when he learned that the car was... Uh, the patrol car was parked on the driveway of Cassie's shift supervisor, a former Long Beach uh, Police Department sergeant named Clark Ladner. Both of them were asleep inside the home while Cheyenne, the baby, was roasting to death in the car. Cassie reported claims they were only discussing a work-related matter and nodded off after a long night shift. But uh, uh, the husband says he had already thought the two had been having an affair when he was still with Cassie. That's yeah, it's been confirmed. Yeah, he said, I caught her with another officer. Um, uh, Ryan Heyer um, had been a doting and devoted father to Cheyenne. He was a mechanic in Jacksonville, Florida, and says that he found himself often playing Mr. Mom right from the beginning after Cassie suddenly developed these uh, career ambitions. She decided right after Cheyenne was born that she wanted to be a police officer. And her mother's a, a cop, a police officer that's supposed to serve and protect. And she can't even protect her daughter. In, in March, uh, Cassie, she, she admitted to a judge that she did indeed have sex with her supervisor and then fell asleep afterwards while the, the three-year-old was uh, inside the overheated patrol car. She has pleaded guilty to uh, manslaughter in March uh, in a plea bargain. She was uh, indicted on second-degree murder charge. Um, she uh, was sentenced in April 1st, uh, 2019. Yeah, she was. Uh, she got uh, the, the maximum sentence of twenty years in prison for manslaughter. Yeah, and again, you know, Cassie claimed that her daughter's death was a tragic mistake, but police revealed that Cassie had been arrested on another occasion for reportedly leaving Cheyenne alone in a hot car for about forty-five minutes at a shopping mall, which was actually seventeen months before the child's death. Mm. And um, you know, Ryan, the dad, says he wasn't informed of the arrest or told that the Mississippi Department of Human Services had taken his daughter away from Cassie. He says they gave her back to Cassie the next day. Again, a theme on this podcast, Child Protective Services. And not, you know, in this, uh, we talked about this on another case, where not telling the other, the, the other parent what had happened. You know, not, not informing the other parent that, uh, that there has been an issue, which... Is and it seems like that's incredibly important uh, to at least reach out and tell that the uh, the other parent it's and they did parental didn't. rights. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know the fact that she's a uh, she was law enforcement here may have had something to do with that. Uh, it's unfortunate in this in this particular uh, Mississippi case. Um, anyway, she is uh, serving time now for the next twenty years. Twenty years um, after that twenty sixteen case. So. Uh, you can see uh, some of the video that we have on this particular case. Her name is Cassie Barker. If you go to truecrimedaily.com, you can uh, get uh, all the latest on this particular story. Uh, one of many stories about children being left in hot cars across the country for the past many years. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a small epidemic, but uh, you know, be safe out there and don't leave your pets and your kids yeah. in cars. Yeah, 
So in addition to those stories uh, on truecrimedaily.com, you can check out our content on YouTube and Facebook as well. Don't forget to download our weekly podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Also, if you have comments or questions about the show, call us up, leave a message at 888-548-9758. We'd love to hear from you in your own voice. Be advised your recording may be used in any of our future podcasts. Welcome. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you... Don't do crimes. Don't do them, folks.